Welcome into this edition of the Golf Central Podcast, presented by Callaway Golf. I'm Lav, soon to be joined by Rex, who has returned from his nearly month-long stay in the UK. We'll find out if he and his wife are still on speaking terms and whether the rest of his family still recognizes him. We'll also get into the third event on the Live schedule, which is this week at Trump Bedminster, as well as Live's future plans for 2023. We'll also talk the ever sexy topic of FedEx Cup points and who needs a good week this week in Detroit at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. But first, Callaway's new Jaws Raw Wedges are already winning on tour. They're designed to deliver pure spin in its rawest form, and Xander Schauffele used Jaws Raw in his thrilling victories at the Travelers Championship and at the Scottish Open. They are already the number one Callaway Wedges on tour, and they're in the bag for players like Xander, Kevin Kisner, Mark Leishman, and many more. They feature the most aggressive grooves in golf, now with a raw face that promotes maximum spin. Jaws Raw is in stores now, and for more information, go to CallawayGolf.com. Rex, you don't even need to go to a website to find out. I just killed that pod read. Apparently, all I had to do was cross the Atlantic to be able to nail a Jaws Raw wedges read. Uh, the bunkmate, my wife, had to sit in on a couple of these the last couple of weeks. And after one of them, uh, you had uh, shuffled off to your room and she said how uh, he reads well, which I, I thought was a weird compliment for a grown man who's gone to college. But I said, yes, he does. And she goes, well, no, he's good. He's, the, the ad he read reads, he reads real good. He killed it. And I go, well, you weren't there for the uh, Jaws Raw meltdown of 2022 in St. Andrews when he tried it four times before me oh, and Mercer both had to talk him off the ledge. Like, man, just give up. Just stop. Let's just stop right there. It was, it was at least four attempts. I tried it with a pint, without a pint, with water, without a water, while clearing the throat, not clearing the throat. Uh, yes, nothing, I'm home. I'm home. Nothing was going to help. How, how, are, how are things back in Longwood? Uh, it, it, was, it was better than I thought when I got home. We have two, uh, two sons that still live with us. One is, is 19 years old and the other is 17 years old. And I, I had nothing but dread as we landed and my flights, by the way, all were on time. The luggage arrived. Wow. I thought of you because we had, uh, and I hate to admit this, this is like rubbing your nose in it, but we had a perfect travel day. There were no delays, no lost luggage. I got, Oh, home. perfect yeah. travel. I'm happy for you. Uh, it sounds like it. That sounds wonderful. I know. I know. It sounds like you're very happy for me, but I will say this, we have two sons, a 17 year old and 19 year old who were home by themselves for the better part of a month. And I got, God. I did not have high expectations when I came back in the door, but I will say the house was cleaner than it probably normally is when I get home from a long trip, which is more testament to the bunkmate, my wife's uh, cleaning prowess. And I will also say this, that even though they, they cut the front lawn, they did not cut the back lawn, which meant it grew in, oh, full no. in the summertime. So you can imagine how high that grass was, which would have been fine. But then my son, my middle son, cut an obscene gesture in the lawn. And that, that got some of the neighbors talking. So I had to really jump on that as soon as I got home. Like the very next morning at 7 a.m., I was up mowing the back lawn. What was the gesture? Uh, it's, it's a family pod. I'll, I'll tell you later. It's not. It's, it, let's just say that it was inappropriate. He's a boy. It's what boys do. Does it's it some, involve Cam Smith's play at the Players' Championship? Uh, Cam Smith's play? Uh, no. no. Down the stretch? <laughs> no. Gutsy? No? Uh, uh, well, yes. Okay, there you go. I, I think you got it. Uh, both. But, yeah. Oh dear! Oh yeah. my! And and the I HOA to... the HOA is really going to frown on that. I'm not going to lie. Uh, luckily, it was in the backyard, and our house does not back up to someone else's house, and so we had that going for us. But the two neighbors on each side did make a mention that it's a little inappropriate for kids in the neighborhood. So yes, oh, God. <laughs> I mean, if that's if that's the worst thing that happens, I mean, you've you've already been 
criticized by them as being an absentee father. Like the least they could do after after you abandoned them for a month uh, was to to <laughs> carve some sort of obscene gesture in the in the weeds of, of, the, of the backyard. Uh, abandoned them seems a, a bit strong. They took care of themselves and the, the kitchen was clean. And the house was relatively clean. And the dogs were taken care of. Uh, so they did a very good job. I was very proud of them. Outside it will be the- great to see what sort of discoveries you have over the next week uh, as you reacclimate to uh, life over uh, in Longwood. Before we get too far in this podcast, Rex, just want to give a shout out to our buddy, uh, longtime USA Today uh, golf writer, sports writer, Steve Demeglio, just got discharged uh, from the hospital. If he's listening to this, we're thinking of you, buddy. All the best. He's going to have some health challenges moving forward, but we know uh, that he will be determined to, to fight it uh, and do so aggressively and we can't wait to see him uh, out on the golf beat uh, very soon uh, with that in mind Rex let's turn our attention uh, to the golf beat and two tournaments going on this week live golf at Trump Bedminster of course a golf course owned as you can imagine by former President Trump who will be playing uh, in the pro-am on Thursday I'm sure that will be uh, quite a spectacle amidst all of the protests for 9-11 uh, and other uh, various uh, uh, causes that we've seen so far this week in New Jersey. The first wave of new additions met with the media on Wednesday. Those players were Paul Casey, Charles Howell III, and Jason Kokrak. Henrik Stenson, who was stripped of the 2023 European Ryder Cup can- uh, captaincy, will meet with the media on Thursday. Uh, besides Trump's appearance, besides uh, potential Charles Barkley's uh, move to live golf, what are you most looking forward to seeing in week number three as, it, as we make our way with this, rivals, this rival tour? Yeah, we decided to hold off on doing this podcast until after the interviews were over today because it was a new wave of players that came through. And I was particularly interested to hear what Paul Casey and what Charles Howell had to say. I mean, if I'm going to be specific about those two, because I was curious and I had a couple of takeaways. I had a couple of thoughts. Um, the, the first one is in, I've known Paul for a long time and, uh, and we've talked about this decision. So I, I have a little bit of insight. I guess the part that got me is he referenced one of the things that motivated him. And we've heard this throughout the players who've made the jump to live golf is the team concept. And he talked specifically about how cool it was to see the guys from the team waiting on the green as the last player was finishing up and, and you know, how much fun that is. And I was shaken. I was taken by the idea that he had, He's talked about how important the team concept is, and, and Paul is not alone in this. Most of them have referenced this, but but it is fascinating to me that you took yourself out of the biggest and most important team event that we have in golf, meaning the Ryder Cup, to go join this because it's a team aspect. So I, I do find a little bit of a disconnect there, simply because there's no ignoring the Ryder Cup. What happened with Hendrick Stinson is shocking to me, and that to me is a, is a whole different conversation because it is clear what Henrik did in this position was he told the DP world tour that no, I won't be going to live golf as part of the conversation about com- becoming the next captain for the European Ryder cup team. And then he ends up going to live golf and they strip him of that title. And it seems to me there's only one logical reason or one logical thought that he had in all of this is that he could leverage that captaincy to get a better deal with live golf. I had been on the record for all of these players. You think he actually did that? Or do you think, I feel like when he, he agreed when he agreed to the captaincy, that was after Phil Mickelson's controversial comments about both the Saudis and the PGA Tour. It seemed, as Roy McIlroy said at the time, 
that Live Golf was dead in the water. Isn't it realistic to think that, hey, he thought this is, was not going to happen? And so, for lack of a better term, the European Ryder Cup candidacy for 2023 was the next best thing? And then all uh, that changed? There is, some, there is some cover there. But if that's the case, it seems like his mind changed very, very quickly. And we, I think we had this discussion in a podcast when we were over in the UK that – how quickly things have escalated because you go from Fred Ridley's comments at the Masters earlier this year, the chairman of Augusta National Country Club, by comparison to what Martin Slumbers said during the Open Championship, who's the chief executive of the RNA, it, you get the idea of how quickly this escalated. Because for Fred, this was still sort of a vague concept. This was just out in the ether still. We didn't know exactly what Live Golf was going to look like or exactly which players were going to jump or even if they could pull this off and hold even one event and now you fast forward four months, essentially, and now Martin Slumbers gets to a microphone and he was much more strident in the tour's defense. He was much clearly on the tour, much more clearly on the tour side than maybe Fred had been. And I think that has everything to do with how quickly that escalated, to your point. And yes, there was probably a moment in time when Henry did seem to think, OK, the writing on the wall is this isn't going to happen. And the Ryder Cup is the best op- Ryder Cup captaincy is the best option for me. But I don't think that was the lone motivating factor. I think it quickly turned to I can leverage this now and go back and get a better deal. Well, than I think that's a little cynical. I mean, I understand he's lost. No, his I don't. What at least at least once. I don't. Is it twice he's lost his a sizable portion of his fortune? It was at least in 2010. But he's he's been swindled out of some serious cash. I have a hard time believing, it. and th- this is me, like the eternal pessimist. I have a hard time believing that this was all just a leverage play. It was. I think it was an absolute leverage play that he was able to use his Ryder Cup capacity to get a better deal. And I, again, I have been on the record of saying that whatever motivates these guys to go to live golf, I, I have told whatever it is you want to do, live your life. You do you. Fill your boots, son, I think is what we learned when we were over in the UK. I, I have no problem. This is your life. This is your family. I'm not going to judge why people are going or what their motivations are. If they feel like it's best for them, that's fine. And this particular case, and I kind of came to this conclusion over the last few days, talking with other players and other managers and getting the idea that, yes, this is exactly what he did. And that, to me, just feels raw. It feels dirty. And there's a lot about this that feels dirty, but that one struck me in a very odd way. Yeah, that does feel dirty. I mean, and to me, the about face was shocking only in the sense that this was a guy who who chose – personal gain over what is widely considered as one of the game's greatest honors to be Ryder Cup captain for Team Europe. All we've heard over the past two, three decades was the fact that this team is just closer. It means more to these guys. You know, they they band together. They have camaraderie, not just for a three-day exhibition, but throughout the entire two-year qualifying process. And this kind of flies in the face of that entire theory. I, I do think it is significant for Greg Norman, uh, the CEO of Live Golf, who can who can claim that now Live Golf, this upstart venture, this rival tour that's just a couple of months old, is more enticing than even the Ryder Cup, which is the game's greatest showcase. So I think that's a nice little feather in Greg Norman's hat. I do think, Rex, that too much is being played of, of what's going to happen to the European Ryder Cup team. I understand that this totally blows up their model for future captains. I'm, I'm not oblivious to that fact, whether it's Stenson, whether it's Sergio Garcia, Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood. I mean, you can go down the list. These guys were kind of in succession for the next four, five, six Ryder Cups as we get 
into the 2030s. But from a competitive standpoint, I don't think this does anything to the European Ryder Cup team. You know, gone, assuming that there's no sort of detente between the DP World Tour and they allow these guys to maintain their membership there in order to uh, maintain eligibility for the Ryder Cup. You, You look at it, Sergio, Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter. Of those three, I think only Sergio was probable probably going to be on that 2023 team in all likelihood mm, as probably. a captain's pick as a captain's pick uh paul casey probably he's been dealing with some uh, significant health in- issues over the past couple months burn Wiesberger didn't do anything uh in his uh, debut in the Ryder cup last fall and then you're just looking at these backroom guys whether it's stenson graham mcdowell martin keimer those guys haven't been on a team uh, in a number of years, but they were kind of filling out that European support staff. And so to me, look, Europe just got slaughtered. And I think we saw the emotion afterward at Whistling Straits because these guys understood that was the end of an era. But when you actually look at the team composition, not just the future Ryder Cup captains, the actual composition, a nice core is still there. Like you have Rory, you have John Rahm, you have Matt Fitzpatrick, you have Victor Hovland for right now. Those guys uh, have signaled that they're not going anywhere. Uh, you're uh, twins uh, from Denmark, the Hogards. Uh, no, nope. excuse me. No, nope. nope. excuse me. The nope. uh, Ho, Hogors, the Hogors. Uh, they, they leave the wave of like this next generation talent. And look, you still have history. The Americans have not won an away Ryder Cup since 1993 and so i think this entire thing of does the Ryder cup still matter like it, to me it's totally overblown the captain gets way too much uh credit and victory way too much blame in defeat they're losing the Ryder cup succession plan for captains yes that is indisputable uh but i think there is still reason for optimism for europe moving forward does that make sense and i don't uh, it does and i don't know how much i felt like hendrick would probably be one of the better captains but I kind of feel that way about all the European captains. I feel like Thomas Bjorn was a very good captain. I feel like Padre Carrington was going to be the greatest captain of all, and he ended up, you know, losing in dramatic fashion. He's just getting rolled over at Whistling Straits. That's just so, dramatic, historic fashion. Historic fashion. And so I, I think you're right. I think they get way too much credit. They, they, they have the formula. They don't need task force. They don't re- need to reinvent the wheel, and they have enough bodies. Luke Donald is probably going to step in and do a very, very fine job, to your point. Thomas Bjorn, potentially the victorious 2018 captain? Sure. I mean, I I think there's plenty of of people still there who can step in. And you're right, we don't know what's going to happen going forward as far as how these two might come to some sort of terms and coexist. And then then I would open the door again. I would argue the American side, at least in the short term, took a bigger hit. And we can argue about, well, they didn't fit into the team room anyway. But Dustin Johnson, Brooks, Bryson, I think those are hits. I think Patrick Reed, to a certain degree, is still ahead. I know he doesn't fit in the team room. I know no one wanted to play with him, but he was still part of the American team. He was still those part guys of the weren't even going to be a part of the Presidents Cup team, Rex. Yeah, if and look, I think if that... you look at if you look at the standings from this year, and so these these players have not yet been excluded. Right now, we're going to get into this eligibility thing for the FedEx Cup. It's very it's very uh, sexy. But like Bryce Deschambeau is twenty fifth on the U.S. Presidents Cup standings. Excuse me, is twenty fifth. On the standings, he will not be eligible to play, of course. Brooks Kepka 30th. Dustin Johnson, further down the list. I mean, these are guys who, whether or not they resign their membership, we're not going to be a part of this team in all likelihood. We're going to see Max Homa, uh-huh. Will Zalatoris, Cameron Young play their way onto this team just by virtue of how they played over these last couple of months. 
No, no, I would disagree with that. And I only because the captain, I, I know Davis a little bit and I know how his mind works. He would have found a way to get Dustin on that team. He would have probably found a way if he felt like Brooks was healthy to get Brooks on that team. He likes the American core. He likes to maintain the American core. It's why he's been a he's part. He's playing this week with Will Zalatoris and Cameron Young. That wasn't by accident. No, it wasn't. And certainly he's had to turn his attention now because I just Tom Hoagie. Out- Tom Hoagie potentially aligned for a U.S. President's Cup spot. You're, you're going to talk about sexy topics? Is that what we're going to? We're going to we're gonna do a Tom Hoagie. Chatters, Chatters is going to love that. Oh, yeah, your neighbor. She, she's absolutely can, – can you imagine the T-shirts she's going to be able to come up with cricket? Can you imagine all the cricket things she's going to be able to churn out with a Tom Hoagie going to the President's Cup option on here? Talk about sexy topics. But I, I would say, at least in the short term, the Americans – got hit a little bit harder because I think those guys were at least part of the team. As you pointed out, the players from the European side were past their prime. Maybe Paul Casey, although he was hurt, I can't imagine how he would have been able to turn it around next year in, on, in a very short porch to make the Ryder Cup team. I, I think Martin Keimer is well past his prime. I don't think he was going to play on another team. I'm not 100% sure Sergio Garcia, other than if John Rahm stepped up and just made it a point of saying that I want He's like the most successful Ryder Cupper over the past 15 years. He was going to be on the team. I think it was either Westwood or Stenson, whoever said, like, as long as Sergio Garcia has a pulse, maybe it actually been John Rahm, as long as Sergio Garcia has a pulse, he's going to be a captain's pick for the European Ryder Cup team. And we used to say that about Ian Poulter, and I think we can both agree that, nope, his time as a player had had come to an end. And so I I just think that they were past their prime. The biggest issue for them is, and I agree with you, that it's sort of the command structure. What they had, their vision going forward just pretty much unraveled. And now all of a sudden you're having to start from scratch and you're having to throw a Luke Donald or someone else in there that probably Thomas Bjorn wouldn't be starting from scratch. He was already, so he was already a named and assistant for Henrik Stenson squad for 2023. So I'm not sure how much work they've actually done 14 or 15 months ahead of the matches in Rome, but like, he seems like a natural choice. He, he understands what a winning Ryder cup team looks like having guided the team uh, to a, a emphatic victory in France in 2018, he was already assisting. He's already familiar with it. Like to me, that makes a lot of sense right now. Luke Donald, it would, it would sort of be shortchanging Luke Donald. Would it not to not give him the full runway in order to be as successful as possible for a Ryder cup. If you're throwing him into the mix, kind of this dysfunction 13, 14 months ahead of time, I'd like to see Luke Donald get a full term as European Ryder cup captain. I think in 2025, it makes total sense. He's a, he's, he's based in, He's based in the U.S. and has been for the past two decades. I'd like to see him at Beth Page, actually. I don't know about that. I, I just don't know. Do you really need 24 months to piece all this together and make sure everything is perfect? Clearly, they do. That's why they announce him. That's why they announce him so early. I, I, I you got to get they, uniforms. You got to talk to the superintendents. You got to have lavish dinners that will be expensed. Yeah. Like, I, I just don't. I think that might be overblown. But two, uh, I would make the argument, and I did this comparison once, that Paul McGinley, who went down as probably one of the greatest European Ryder Cup captains in the history of the matches. Terrific I analyst, too. Yeah, and he's a colleague of ours, and I think he does a wonderful job. But I once compared his career to Chad Campbell's. And I think pretty much if you do apples to apples comparison of what Paul did on the European tour at the time to what Chad Campbell did on the PGA tour. it was You still love Chad Campbell. Absolutely. Ball striking oh, machine. Can't, couldn't, could not putt worth a lick. But no. man, I tried to copy him as a, as a youngster. But if you look at their careers, it was pretty much the exact same thing. And I kind of wrote at the time that you, you don't need to have this huge pedigree to be a very good captain. Paul McGinley is the best example of this. That look, he did not have this Hall of Fame career, but we can all agree that whatever Paul, Paul brought to the table in that team room 
worked. And every guy, every player that played for him at that Ryder Cup will agree that, yep, he, he was worth a point, maybe two points. He was worth the victory. Whatever it comes, the, the, the math that we make it work out, he was worth the victory. So if you look at that, then we're probably missing over someone that would be on the list that we're probably overlooking because it would be like, oh, he's only got a couple wins. He probably doesn't have a Robert Carlson seems to fit that trend, sure. doesn't he? I mean, he was a he was a finalist for the 2023 job. Yeah. So I just I don't know if it's that big of a deal. I don't even think it's that big of a deal on the American side because we can have the same conversation about, well, losing Phil and him being taken out of that Ryder Cup mix. It's probably going to accelerate things for Tiger. And now all of a sudden we're, we're starting Make Tiger, to- the automatic captain. I think I, I think I trotted this idea out uh, on one of our walks uh, back to the flat with the bunkmate. Well, in St. Andrews, make Tiger Woods the automatic captain that keeps him involved in the game. It keeps him interested. It keeps him a part of the PGA Tour schedule because he's going to need to stay up with today's current players. To me, that's a no-brainer. Tiger, automatic captain. He'd love it. He'd relish the role. He has no interest in that. Come on. I mean, that. And now you're going to What's he going to do? What's he going to do besides get ready for the PNC? I think he's got a lot of things going on in his life. I think he's got plenty of things to keep him busy. And I don't know that he's done playing competitive golf. I mean, that was a conversation for another day but i'm not against the idea if you i think i'm pretty automatic captain didn't arnold palmer i think he was captain of two teams if i'm not mistaken and i'm i think jack nicholas was captain of playing captain as well as playing playing. so i I wouldn't say that that's out of the question i mean i think tiger would probably dismiss the idea simply because we don't do that in the modern era we don't let a guy have two turns we've also never had a tiger woods let him do whatever he wants uh that, that's true i don't have a problem with that because again you're taking phil mickelson out of the mix i don't know that dustin johnson was in line for a captaincy of the Ryder cup he probably soon. was he probably i mean he probably was in the next six to eight years wasn't he not i mean he's 37 years old he probably was i don't, I don't know that it, look at a cooch if you and i were having Stuart this conversation in a, in a pub we would have written his name down over the next decade i wouldn't have written his name down i i don't maybe that's disrespecting dj to a certain degree and i'm not saying he wouldn't have been a good captain he, he might have been an excellent captain i mean he's got a little bit of that freddie couples i actually in him, think so he, he would have i actually think he would yeah. have been a great captain because he's got a little bit of that freddie couples in him where it's like you know live and let live you guys toss the balls in the air and let's go have some fun who you want to play with all right go knock yourself out have fun uh, and so but i just don't know that if we'd have had this conversation six months ago he would have been in the mix for the next decade so the reason why i like tiger as automatic captain no we're back on and that. we were having a conversation with uh uh, Doug Ferguson, uh, the Associated Press uh, golf writer, uh, absolutely the best uh, in the business. He was making the point, which I totally agreed with, is that Tiger Woods would have a more significant voice. It would carry even louder and farther were he more involved in today's tour. Right now, as currently stands, we're only likely to see him five, six times in 2023 if he can play. All four majors, that's great. We'll see him at the World Challenge, which benefits uh, his foundation. We might see him at the PNC Championship with son Charlie. Maybe, maybe he gets back uh, for Riviera at the Genesis Invitational in February, another tournament uh, that he hosts on the PGA Tour. That's it. You know, he kind of floats in and out. And the PGA Tour needs Tiger now more than ever. And so having him involved in the game's greatest showcase, an event that garners a lot of attention, not just from hardcore golf fans, but from, uh, I think, the everyday sports fan as well. Keeping him involved in the process, out on the PGA Tour, having him at press conferences, seeing him at weekly tournaments, I think could only be a great thing for the PGA Tour, which, you know, with with the battle for golf's uh, 
heart and soul currently underway. Uh, they, they need Tiger front and center. I don't disagree with that. And if we're going to go that far, then just make Rory the captain of the European team going forward until we've played our way out of this. So what about Rory as a playing captain? 2023. What do you sure. think? I mean, look, those are the two that are going to have to carry the flag. I mean, there's, there's other voices that are coming to this on the PGA Tour side, but I think those would be the loudest two that the PGA Tour can trot out and say that these are our two biggest stars and they're going to talk about why this doesn't work and why this shouldn't be the way it is. So, no, I, I don't think there's anything. You, know, you keep poking me like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow a hole yeah. in the story, you blow can't. a hole in the concept. No, I wouldn't. I guess it's the bulletproof. Only, it's bulletproof. It is not because Tiger's not going to want to do it. That, that's where you run up against a wall. Not a bullet, but a wall. He's, he's not going to uh, want to sign on for 10 years of being a Ryder Cup captain. That's, that's not in his future. He likes being in those team rooms, but trust me, he's not going to want to be a captain for the next five Ryder Cups and five President's Cups. That's not going to happen. It's really a shame. I hope, he'd, I hope he'd reconsider that. I mean, he's going to have to fill his time with something. I mean, he, he's, I'm not he's, talking he's for a, him. I mean, you're making it sound like I'm his spokesperson. I'm not. I just don't see he's that. He's the first happen. to admit that his competitive window is closing rapidly, that he's only sure. got a couple more major championships left in him. And so, yeah, he's got his golf course design business. He's got this new pop stroke putting thing. The foundation. Um, he's got he's plenty got of the things foundation work. He, he obviously wants to be a dad after being, after being on the PJ tour for basically the entirety of his kids, lives. I, I understand all of that. It's not like this would be a gigantic responsibility, but I'd love to see it. He's shrewd enough. He's smart enough. Uh, and he's important enough uh, that he would be deserving of that automatic role. That's what we're pitching on this golf central podcast presented by Callaway golf. That is the official position of the golf central podcast presented by Callaway golf. Yes. Tiger Woods, automatic captain, basically being automatic quarterback in the recess football games. Uh, I don't know if I want to get aggregated with my face next to it, but all right. Uh, You already call it Augusta uh, national country club. So uh, this is, this is, this is the best position that you could possibly have. Uh, Rex, there was a press release issued by Liv, basically rehashing what we already know, which is the fact that they're expediting their timeline for the league concept uh, to begin in early 2023. What that means, if you have been living under a rock, is 14 tournaments, 12 established team franchises. So essentially it's going to be a team owner and then three other players on that four-man team. And this was, I guess, a little bit of news, uh, which had been previously reported, but now has been made official. There will be a relegation tournament at the end of the season. Now, live officials did not disclose how many spots would be available. Sports Illustrated previously reported that it's looking to be four spots. Now, that's going to be a key criterion for uh, its application for the official World Golf Ranking. You have to have some sort of of promotion and relegation. Otherwise it's basically just a hand picked league. What are your thoughts on what live is going to be trotting out next year? I was, uh, I was on air as they were kind of breaking the story and SI.com did it. I think it was Alex Maselli who broke the story. And I, I was fascinated by Eamon Lynch's comments about this. I was doing something else, but I stayed on and sort of listened to what Eamon had to say about this. And you're right. It, it is a four person relegation, which makes sense. These are teams. You can have four go in, four go out. And I think what we've that's seen, not a lot, not going to lie. It's not, a, not lot. a lot, especially when the team captains, especially yeah, when the team captains are going to be immune from this. Well, not only the team captains, but I guess the part that Eamon pointed out, and I, I would agree with this simply because it, it's, it's a, it's a farce 
because it's four in, four out, unless one of those four either has a long-term contract or is its team captain. So essentially anyone of any statute, any of the names, you can name a name and he's probably got a long-term contract and or is a team captain. So Phil Mickelson is going to shoot 80 every single round of every single event, but because he's got a long-term contract and he's a team captain, he's immune to this type of relegation. That That's a problem. That has been a fundamental part of the PGA Tour forever. I mean, we can sit here and talk about all the problems with the PGA Tour, but the one thing is you got to keep what you killed. And in this particular case, if you went to the Corn Ferry Tour and you played well enough and you played your way onto the PGA Tour, it's why we always fell back on the old cliche, play better. And in this particular case, it doesn't apply. Because if you're Phil Mickelson or Dustin or any of the other players with long-term deals, you don't have to play better. You just have to have a better deal maker on your side that signed a, a, probably a contract for less money, but for more years. Because we all know that's the golden ticket right there. When you're a professional athlete, give me less money over the course of a long-term contract because I want to be Bobby Bonilla. I want to have my own who's day. Still, who's still getting paid? Who's still getting paid. I want to have my own day 20 years from now where people are celebrating the fact that the New York Mets and all their awful awfulness still have to pay this man to not play baseball. And I, I just I find it fascinating that this is what they threw out because they have a system in place where you could come up with a true relegation. They have the Asian tour and they have these live international series events where you could come up with some sort of true relegation. And I don't know what the magic number is. If it's 48 players and it's probably going to have to be something close to 50%, but I, I would leave that to Boy, others. That's a to, lot. I would leave others to decide. It's, I, it has to be more than four. I think we can both agree yeah, on that. It's got, I mean, it's got to be 20. It's got to be 25%. It's got to be 12. That's fine. Make it 12. And so each year, 12, regardless of your status as a team captain or not, you can play your way off and then 12 get to play their way up because that's the only way you're going to end up with fresh blood. Cause if not in five years time, you're going to have a, let me do the, the math on this, a 57 year old Phil Mickelson, 58 year old Phil Mickelson. I'm not sure if I did math. He's on that 50. Right. He's 51 right now. All right. So a 56 year old Phil Mickelson who probably will not be able to break an egg and he, because he's a captain and he's got a long-term contract, he's still going to be out there prattling around with the other players. That makes no sense to me. Uh, it doesn't. And I mean, if you look at the teams right now, it's easy to pick out the players who would probably, in all likelihood, be relegated. Now, Greg Norman has told the Australian Golf Digest that like the roster for the 2023, I believe they're now calling it the Live Golf League, is set. They have player announcements that they're going to roll out over the next couple of months. These are signed contracts. They, they are locked in with their players and their teams that they're going to have for 2023 so that some of the players that we're seeing uh in this week's edition i'm thinking of the turk pettits of the world and the pachara kong what what of the world and even the i don't know potential... if you did that but, but good for you for trying I, i'll give you credit for trying i don't know if you got it right but good for you for trying the henny duplesses who finished third i believe uh in the inaugural event in london like those guys in all likelihood are not going to make the cut for the 2023 roster but those guys will essentially have their equivalents for 2023. And you'll be able to pick out the guys who at the end of the year are going to be in some sort of promotions event where they're going to have to be battling for status against guys who have been the best performers on the Asian tour international series and potentially some young amateurs who want to turn pro and and make their $10 million uh, by playing in this series. I have been on record and I still believe on record that this team on record on this podcast uh, that I really like this team concept and I think it has merit and I think it has potential and I think it has the possibility, if not the probability 
of being very intriguing. When you have a situation where a Dustin Johnson, a Bryce DeChambeau, a Phil Mickelson can go court sponsors and basically build the roster and the team that he wants. That being said, you have to have the possibility of eliminating a team member, a team member who is not holding his own, whether that's trading him, whether that's cutting him, whether that's, that's, that's releasing him in order to sign like the next great amateur to get them on your team. Like that's the whole concept. You, you just can't plot along for the entire 14 event schedule. And then maybe, maybe lose your best player. Like the whole point of the team concept is to treat it like a team. Like you look at a roster in major league baseball. I know you're, you're an Orioles fan. Like the roster that they have on opening day is not the roster that they, that they have uh, for the regular season finale. We can obviously count them out playing in the playoffs. So we'll just go with the regular season finale. Like the roster undergoes some changes throughout that four, throughout the 162 game schedule. I'd love to see the same thing for live. The team captain should be emboldened to make changes as he sees fit and four spots at the end of the year is, is utterly ridiculous that may or may not even come to fruition. If some of these captains are exempt from actually being relegated. You mean the Baltimore Orioles who are exactly who've won their last two games in a five games out of the wild card. Yep. I'm a Baltimore Orioles fan. That's right. That's me. Uh, No, I, I would agree with that only to the extent that the concept Sounds good. We've talked about this before. I'm with you. I I think the idea of being able to mix and match team members, in my mind, this is where it sort of ran into a roadblock, though. Because if you have all of these players, which I think the vast majority of players right now, or at least going into next season, will be under some sort of contract. And so you're not giving them any incentive to play better, or you're going to get relegated to whatever the international series slash Asian Asian tour events are. And you're also... No 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 one of note is going to be worried about relegation. None. No one. Exactly. Because all of these guys are going to have long-term deals. I haven't spoken with one player who's gone to live who did just a a one-off deal. No, 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 no. I'm just doing this year. And then we're going to see how it goes next year because they know there is no next year on the PGA tour. So why wouldn't you negotiate for a two, three, four year deal with live? I mean, that just makes sense. That's just economics. Except if, except if if you're Taylor Gooch, who thought that you could just play the London event as a one-off and then go back to playing the Memorial. I kind of got carried away in that that press conference the other day. That was me just going down a rabbit hole with poor Taylor Gooch because I I had to just clarify, and it had already been reported, so this was nothing new. But just to be clear, your plan was just to play one event. That's correct. Yep. And when did you you make your decision to to sign on full-time when the tour suspended? And the fact that the the tour and the commission had been crystal clear about this, that there would be repercussions that didn't resonate. You know, it did not. I I was fascinated. It was like a conversation with my child. Call the bluff. Bluff got called. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so either he's got a, a very, very bad agent or he just decided he knows better than his agent. I don't know which one of those things it is, but it's got to be one of those two. I believe he fired his agent beforehand to try and cut uh, him out of any uh, rep- representation deal. Uh, that's what I was told to, but I can't, I can't confirm that. So I don't want to go headlong into reckless speculation. But Ooh, so- I, believe that's, I believe that's page 17 of the manual. Apologies. Yes, I don't think we can do that. Uh, but I would say that the two parts of this that just are so problematic is one, all these guys have long-term deals. So none of this is going to hold up, at least in the short term. And we're probably looking two, three, four years down the road until you would get any kind of new blood whatsoever. And the other one is the new blood. I've made this argument on this podcast before because you and I both have talked to people who know things about college golf, who know that suddenly 
Live Golf is interested in giving out NIL deals. And it's a it's an area that the PGA Tour cannot compete. And now all of a sudden you've got the top two or three college players getting wooed for large amounts of money as opposed to what they would have to do over the course of a two, three year span of trying to play their way onto the PGA Tour. It's going to be very attractive. However, if there's only going to be an open window for four players every year, you're going to have a hard time pulling them those guys over. Uh, I do agree with that. But I think like everything with Live Golf, it is uh, subject to change. We've, we've seen the, uh, the iteration of what Live Golf already is, and this is just not even two months old when they started playing tournaments. It, it's already changed in innumerable ways. This was this whole playing it by ear. Is that what you're saying? Kind of. And like the league concept wasn't supposed to start till 2024. Well, now Greg Norman is so emboldened that he thinks he can start it uh, a year earlier. I, I think the actual team concept works. I think it'll resonate with fans. I'm not a huge Formula One fan. I don't know if you are, Rex, uh, but there's certainly some similarities to be drawn there with how fans can kind of gravitate to a Bryson team or a DJ team or a Phil team. And that's why players like Hideki Matsuyama and Cameron Smith continue to be linked to live golf and why they would be such attractive options for Greg Norman and company, because they could form basically like a Japanese team or an Australian team. And that's easy for that country and those golf fans from that country to follow them and root for them and and follow them each and every week throughout the live schedule. The idea makes sense. The execution, like most things with live uh, still is to be determined whether it's actually going to work. No. And again, this one, the SI story.com kind of hit me because we'd kind of been waiting for some sort of framework that this is how they're going to do it. And the framework just doesn't add up that I I like the team concept as well. I, I am not a formula one fan, although my son is. And so I'll sit around on Sunday mornings and watch it with him because I, I did watch drive for survive drive to survive. And I do think there's some interesting concepts there as far as personality goes. I don't know how that equates to golf. Cause I'm not quite sure if you have sort of that interpersonal contact conflict in golf that they have in formula one. I just don't, I don't see it working. If you're going to take these same names and we, we know who the names are and you're just going to recycle them year after year because they're, they're captains or they're owners or they have long-term deals. That's going to get old quick. It is going to get old quick. So I, I'd be shocked if it actually is four by the time we get to the end of 2023. But then again, I've been shocked before when it comes to live golf. As, as, it, as it goes, to, as it pertains to like this week at Bedminster, I do not understand these teams whatsoever. Like there's $5 million with the team component that is up for grabs. You can't tell me that there is not some inherent advantages and disadvantages to some of these teams. Like Dustin Johnson's team is Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed, Taylor Gooch, and Pat Perez. Now Pat Perez played like a dog in Portland, but like DJ still DJ had a decent showing at St. Andrews. Like Taylor Gooch was going to be in line for president's cup pick Patrick Reed. Uh, although his ball striking is, is dropped off this year. Like he's still Patrick Reed. Like how can that team not be considerably favored over the Ironheads, for instance, which has we're, Kevin. We're, Nott, using, we're using team names now. Ironheads. Kevin oh, wow. Na, Saddam Kat Kwanjana, Pachara Kongwatmai, and Scott Vincent. Like, how are they? How do they tee it up on Friday and not think, boy, we have no chance of winning this team component over some of these teams that are stacked? Like Sergio's team has Abe Answer, Carlos Ortiz, and Eugenio Shikara, who before turning pro was one of the best amateurs in the world. Like, these these are not equal teams like there's no draft they're just like put together like if i'm if i'm competing now i did get 
if you are playing in this, you received a significant signing bonus. But like these, some of these teams have no chance to to vie for the five million dollar team prize. I don't think so. And actually, I thought about this when I, a Live Golf tweet came across my deck, and it was one of the teams, and it was Brooks Kepka's team. And I noticed it because they added Kokrak to that team because Kokrak's playing his first event. But Chase Kepka is on Brooks's team. Makes and Richard total, Bland. And Richard Bland, which makes total sense that Chase Kepka would be on Brooks Kepka's team. And Chase Kepka is a professional golfer, and I've actually had this conversation with Brooks's dad before. And this by no means am I trying to run Chase into the ground as a player. However, if you're Jason Kokrak, I'm just using this as an example, and you sign on with this particular team with, as you point out, a sizable financial reward at the end of the rainbow on Sunday for how your whole team performs, not just how you perform, and your team captain decides to go with, oh, I'm picking my brother, who may or may not play well. Who knows? But let's say he doesn't. I don't know if he's going to play well or not, but let's say he doesn't. I think that creates an enormous amount of friction. Oh, totally. Totally. And again, I'm just using Chase not to be not to pick on him here, but I'm just using this as an example. But, he's, yeah, but yeah, I mean, he's a pretty he's the pretty obvious example. Like everyone else is either established player, they were a highly ranked amateur, they've been tearing up on the Sunshine Tour, like something, something of note. Every single player in these fields has done. Now it could have been 15 years ago, but everyone has done something, except for Chase Kepka. Uh, like it yeah. stands out. It stands it, out. It, it does stand out, and I think when you when you put a when you put an outcome on it that this isn't just for fun anymore. Like you're right, there's five million dollars on the line, and right now it's easy to smile if you're Jason Kokrat, and it's easy just to kind of wink and be like, "No, I'm good with it." You know, I want to be on Brooks's team. We're having a good time. But what happens two years from now when now all of a sudden you you don't your contract's coming up, and now you're trying to play for as much money as possible, and that team component's a big part of this, and all of a sudden. Brooks goes with a cousin just to throw someone out there just because I'm Brooks. I'm the team owner. I can do this. It's going to get nepotism. Nepotism has been known to happen in in teams before it. Yeah. It's going to get weird. Uh, It it is going to weird. I'm, I'm totally with you on that because it does not seem like the actual individual leaderboard, like the 54 hole scores, the actual individual tournaments that we've become so used to, so accustomed to paying attention to on the PGA tour that, isn't rendered meaningless because there's still a lot of money up for grabs. Like it's still going to be a $4 million first place prize, but like they're all in on this team concept. And if you have nepotism or some sort of weak link or team captains and owners who have way too much say or making some questionable decisions at the top. uh, Yeah. I could see how uh, some of these uh, honeymoon feelings uh, are going to be wearing off. Now, Rex, there was an interesting note in this press release that live players are expected to compete in, quote, numerous international series tournaments on the Asian tour. Now, that's interesting because, as we've heard in these press conferences, at nauseum, many of these players were attracted to live golf because they could play less. Now, do you think – now, this is not random. Like, live golf made a significant – investment $300 million, I believe in the Asian tour, essentially to provide a feeder tour to live golf and playing some of these international series tournaments on the Asian tour could provide an avenue for live members to receive world ranking points while live apps lives application to the OWGR uh, is currently under review. Are you under the impression that live is signing these players with the expectation from these players that they were going to have to play in a couple of these tournaments in order to keep their world ranking afloat. 
You don't think that was in the contract? I don't think it's being sprung on them that they're going to, that they no. were going to have to do this for the first year no. or two to get this thing. Yeah, if you don't think it's, it was in the contract and you've never done contracts before, but of course it was in the contract. I mean, I think the, the Kyler Murray thing in the NFL is probably a perfect example of this. They put in the contract that he had to watch X number of hours of film every week. I mean, if you're going to pay that much money and live golf is paying something equivalent to what they ended up paying Kyler Murray, then yes, you're going to put stipulations in there that there are expectations beyond you just showing up at these live events and playing 54 holes. Do you think, do you think it's good that you paid $200 million to your franchise quarterback who may or may not be studying film? Who may or may not. Uh, no, no, I don't. No, I don't. And I, I think it, here's the part that I don't get, though, and, and I, I don't pay enough attention to it. But when he signed the contract, the memes that I saw were of like these tour cars racing down the highway. And, and they, it was making fun of his height, right? Which, which kind of isn't cool at all. And my immediate reaction was, no, no, I'm, I, I don't, I, I'm not comfortable with that. Like of everything that goes into this conversation, I wasn't comfortable with the idea of, oh, don't make fun of his height. That's not good. Short people have feelings too. As, as a short person, trust me. I, I'm very, not even trying to cancel topic. anyone. Like I, I, that's not any of my business, but it was kind of like, no, you, you can't, you can't do that. He's an NFL quarterback. He's, he, you know, he, he's highly, he decorated. doesn't, he doesn't do his homework. They said, they That's said, a bigger deal. They, they said like non excluding video games. Like Madden, Madden does, <laughs> Madden does not count as, as like scouting the Rams defense. Uh, we've talked for forty eight minutes exactly. We haven't mentioned the PGA Tour. We're we gonna we're we gonna get to any of those uh, changes, or we just oh sure, yeah, we can we can get to this eligibility right. list. I'm gonna go take a nap. Uh, why don't you handle this uh, PGA Tour FedEx Cup standings update? You mean the story that I broke yesterday? Yeah, I appreciate you finally getting around to it at the 48-minute mark. Thank you very much. I, I, pre- I see how much you appreciate my news-gathering uh, ability on this. But there was a memo. It's been a, it's, it's been, it's been a rough week at home. We got uh, yeast infection. We got, we got diarrhea. This is not for me. This is not oh, for me. This man. is my 10-month-old. I just had to just stipulate that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, thank I'm going to go take a nap. Pointing that out. No, I'll make this quick. Essentially, it was a memo that was sent from Jay Monahan, the commissioner, to players yesterday. And it was sort of outlining what we had talked about all along, that they had to find a way to get these players who had been suspended indefinitely for playing the live events. They had to separate them out from what is the FedEx Cup points list. And we're two weeks out from the playoff starting. So it was kind of coming to a head. This was the commissioner actually held two separate Q&As last week at the tour event. And this was a hot topic from what I was told. And so what they came up with, and I, if you kind of look at it, you understand why they're going to stay on the regular FedEx Cup points list. And you're talking about Taylor Gooch is probably the best example because he's the highest player right now. He's ranked 20th. Now, only the players who have not resigned their membership. And right now there are eight of those players who are inside the top 125. The players who resigned their membership were removed immediately from the FedEx Cup points list. The way you get rid of them or the way the tours decided to get rid of them is to create a separate list. And that separate list will remove them. And it's called the FedEx eligibility points list. And so essentially everybody on the points list moved up eight spots is, is the easiest way to explain that. Cause what they had to do, there's a lot of components of this, but the biggest one is probably the legal component. And they had to find a way to allow the Taylor Gooches of the world to reap the benefits of the points that they had already earned. He had already earned X number of points. I believe it was 4,200 points before he'd been suspended. And so they had to allow him that accumulation of points to, to pay him out the bonus at the end of the year. This has everything to do with the tour being, a nonprofit organization has everything to do with this bonus goes into the retirement program. And there's very, very specific rules about this that they had to do. That one makes sense. I think where it's actually going to get complicated and we're going to have to wait and see how this one plays off plays out. I've been told by numerous sources that there are players inside this list, one of the eight, or maybe all of the eight who are contemplating a very similar legal challenge 
to what they did in to the British court system right before the Scottish Open. And they're going, going to look for a stay or, or some sort of injunction that would allow that the court would have to make a decision that might allow those players to participate in the playoffs. This also gives the tour some flexibility if that happens. Where imagine a scenario where these eight players, well, it's eight now. It looks like some of them are going to fall out because they're not going to be allowed to play these last two regular season events. But let's say there's eight players are going to participate in at least the first playoff event. Now, all of a sudden, it's gotten even more complicated. So you have to come up with these two separate sets of lists. That's that's it in a nutshell. You can wake up now. Whew. All right. Thank all right. you for that, Rex. Uh, that was thank you for uh, breaking very- the news. Yeah, thanks. You're welcome. That was that was very illuminating. Now, some of these players, it, there are some notable names in. And look, it's it's weird. Like we get excited for the Wyndham Championship every year, but there's always so many like exemption categories that. For at least the marquee names, the names that that either hardcore golf fans or just regular golf fans are familiar with, like these guys are not all of a sudden going to lose their PJ Tour cards if they do not finish inside the top 125. So when you look at this current eligibility list and some of these players will move up once uh the four players get suspended uh for putting a ball in the air uh friday at trump bedminster but like webb simpson is 117 jason day is 119 ricky fowler is 124 on that list francesco molinari 134 like you can go down the list zach johnson 147 bubba watson well uh, but to your point ricky is exempt on the pga tour through next season so That's what I'm saying. Like, like yeah. Webb Simpson's yeah. exempt. Jason Day's exempt. Ricky yeah. Fowler's exempt. Will we see them in the playoffs? Uh, not sure. I don't have a calculator out. I don't need. I don't know what they need to do necessarily this week in Detroit. It it kind of takes away some of that uh, feast or famine. Come on, uh, do the math. Feeling to the Wyndham Championship, but some of those guys you might not see for the postseason. Not sure how long their stay would be in the playoffs anyway. And I think it is important to note, Rex, that beginning next year, 2023. When it goes back Reduce field, to this yeah. calendar using season, we're looking at top 70 as a cutoff, not top 125 anymore. So number 71 through what 200 will be thrown into this weird fall season seeding priorities type tournament. So if that were the case, well put this this year, <laughs> this year, if it was cut off to top seven, you're looking at players like Adam Scott, Daniel Berger, Joel Damon. Uh, all being excluded from the FedEx Cup playoffs, even though this year uh, they will at least play in the first one. No, and I, you're right. I mean, this always gets tricky because you would point to Ricky Fowler as, oh, he's going to finish outside the top 125. Well, he's secure for next year. I guess the one that stood out to me was Brant Snedeker, who doesn't have a card for next year. His exempt status goes through last year's 125. He is 169 on, on the new list, the list that removes those players. Zach so, Johnson's 147. Yeah. He's He's not exempt for next year. Now he'd have various... Uh, things to fall back on top 50 money and things of that nature, but you're right without a PJ tour card. Uh, yeah. So there's certainly some, some interesting names in there that are trying to play. I, I thought it was interesting yesterday when I was, when I was breaking the story about this new eligibility points list, I had a player just reach out to me randomly to ask me, ask me about the top 200 because the top 200. For, so from 126 to 200, they get into the coin Ferry tour and finals and it, that's adjusted as well. It's essentially just your eight spots better than you thought you were. So this is going to sort of impact every corner of PGA tour life, at least in the short term. Last year, the corn Ferry tour finals as well, before they uh, get rid of that system. I know you're sad about that. Uh, since I've never covered any of the corn Ferry tour finals events, I don't know how sad I really am of it. I, I'm sa- uh, I, I'm happy that they're bringing back Q school though. 
So there was an element to, to that story a few weeks ago that I thought, and it's not really pure Q school. Cause I think if I'm not mistaken, five cards. Yeah. It's five. From, yeah. You and I had a, had a math lesson when it came to this. I, I love the immediacy of Q school. I love the storylines that always seem to come out of Q school. There was always one or two guys that sort of found a way to play their way onto the PGA tour that I loved writing about just from a storytelling perspective. So I will, I, I am happy that's coming back, but I don't know. I, I, the corn Ferry tour is still going to be part of the process. It's just a smaller part. I don't like, I haven't liked the corn Ferry tour finals. I obviously like the guys getting, I believe it's going to be 30 cards from the corn Ferry tour plus the five, from the Q school. But the reason I didn't like corn fairy tour finals is because those guys did not keep their PJ tour card. And yet they still had this out with this three tournament series. And so like, look at it's Bo, Bo Van Pelt is currently number 200 on this eligibility list. He may move up or down uh, depending on that. So he has not had a very good season on the PJ tour, regardless of how many starts he has been able to make. Well, if he finishes like sixth in one of these corn fairy tour finals, which it's numbers 126 to 200 plus some corn fairy tour finals and other guys who have uh, found their way through non-member status uh, to play in this series. If he finishes like sixth, he still gets a PJ tour card for next season. I didn't like that. The, 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 the fact that it's not, a, it's not a win. It's not even a runner up or like a top three. It's like a top five or a top six against these weaker fields somehow gets you a PJ tour card. Like how is that weighted the same? as playing an entire season on the corn Ferry tour and finishing 19th. Like you have to have a pretty good body work to be able to do that on the corn Ferry tour. So I'm glad to see that we're shifting away from this somewhat fluky corn Ferry tour finals. And I would, I don't have the math in front of me and I hope someone who's listening to this podcast would do the math for me. I would guess that the card retention rate for players who just got through the corn Ferry tour finals and kept their PJ tour cards the next season would not be very high. There's just too much randomness, too much flukiness uh, to that system. So I am glad to see that that's going away uh, beginning next year. And I remember the, doing this the old way with the old numbers when it was just essentially the Corn Ferry Tour and Q School, and the retention rate was always so much better for the Corn Ferry Tour grads. The idea being that an entire season is a much you just better proved, you, Yeah, you, just, you just proved yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you're, I think Tiger Woods would always say this, like, give me more golf. I know I'm the better golfer. Give me more golf to play. And I, more times than not, I'm going to come out ahead. In this particular case, you give a guy an entire season, he's going to find a way to earn his card. He's going to find a way to play his way into the top 25 or whatever the case may be, as opposed to, and again, I enjoy from a storytelling, from a news perspective, I enjoy the immediacy of Q school. But no, I, I understand a season is a better judge of talent. Especially you know, who, would know who, who could probably do this? Who? who could probably crunch these numbers? Asher Ailey. I'm probably not doing that right. Asher Ailey, A-I-L-E-Y. Yeah, that sounds right. You don't know who I'm talking about, do you? He sent us an Not email. A little you know? No, he sent us an email. He's our friend. Oh, Asher. About the Korean barbecue. And, oh, that's right. Of course, right. of course. Sent us another email after we got back. He had some thoughts. He's got a lot of thoughts, actually, on, on Live Golf and the PGA Tour. You should read it. It's a good email. Asher, Thanks, I feel like you should join us on the listening. podcast. You, you definitely would. You definitely would not make the mistake in calling it uh, Augusta National Country Club. Oh, okay. uh, and folks, uh, that was H uh, O G G A R D. Uh, if you're looking for master's credentialing for 2023, please remember uh, who made that note. Uh, that was Rex Hoggard, folks. Uh, Rex Hoggard, uh, who made oh, that. Thank you. Thank you for listening, uh, Augusta National. Uh, Rex, what's on the grill this week? Uh, you know what? I did a pork butt two days ago, and it was a huge success. So did I. We had a whole bunch of people over. I did not send you the picture of mine because it was gone very, very quickly. We had a whole bunch of people over. You know what I've started to do 
is uh, but, uh, the, the pork butt I get from Costco is so big that I've essentially started to cut them in half and only cook one at a time, only a half of the, at, at a time. Like it's so much easier because you're only you're not doing half the time, but you're doing a fraction of the time. And it, it's also we eat it almost immediately. Like it's almost gone in one helping. I mean, pork butts take forever. I think this is a six and a half pound pork butt that I did. I think I did it on Sunday, actually. Uh, and it took me almost 10 hours. And I used the rub that you told me from Meat Church. I believe it's called Holy... Hmm, I'm blank on this. Hold on. I had to take a picture of it because I was out. Holy Gospel, Honey Hog. I believe uh, I told you to do the whole, Honey Hog. No, Holy Voodoo. Oh, yeah. With a little jalapeno powder in it. Yes, yes. Excellent. It was so good. I got to figure out how to one. order that. Can you just order that straight off like meatchurch.com? Is that the way it works? Uh, you can do that. You can go to Gentry's Barbecue. Shout out Gentry's Barbecue. Huge golf fan, Chris Gentry. Uh, I've gotten two smokers from him, my PK uh, and my Yoder. Go check out his new store. Actually, Rex, before I flew over uh, to Scotland for the Open Championship, I stopped by his new store, paid him a visit, picked up a couple of accessories, stuffed them in the car before uh, making my way to the airport. You can definitely check out uh, some Meat Church rubs there. So you do the pork rub. What else? Or pork butt. What else you got? What else you got on tap? Uh, probably do some chicken tonight. I've got this uh, like an orange chicken recipe that I told you about that I absolutely love. So it's uh, it's thighs. I hadn't been doing thighs, but I've realized. Oh, thighs are the way to go. Oh, God, they're the way to go. And it's because my wife doesn't like them until you cook them and she realizes that, oh, that's much better. Like a, you do. Like a breath. You definitely, breath you definitely like them. Everyone likes them. Unless you don't yeah. like flavor. Uh, a breast is impossible. Like you just, there's no way to do it on the grill without ended up making it dry. Cause if not, you're, you're dancing with the devil. It's a dangerous game. Folks, if you're still cooking chicken breasts, I got to ask why. I mean, you can brine them. You can inject them with butter. You can season the hell out of them just to, just to make them somewhat, somewhat edible. You, you, but you're going to have to pull them off the grill at 158 to even get them somewhat juicy. Folks, you got to go to thighs. You can marinate them. You can season them. You can grill them. You get the nice little char on them. You can sauce them at the end. I mean, they're delicious, tiny little morsels. And uh, for the inexperienced, you can even overcook them a little bit. They will still be tender uh, and delicious. I also, Rex, uh, will be doing uh, some chicken thighs on Thursday tonight. How do you do them? How do you do them? I'm what do you doing do? sa- uh, well, for chicken thighs? Yeah. Chicken thighs, I'll throw them on the PK, get a little char on them, and move them over onto the indirect side. Uh, and so they end up cooking through. So that way you get uh, not just the, the, the crispy bits and some of the, the sauce that I have, the barbecue sauce that I have them marinating in, they, they kind of caramelize and it's uh, delectable. And then you move them over onto the cool side to make sure uh, that you cook them all the way through because you don't really want to play uh, with chicken. Yesterday, did some T-bone steaks on the Hasty Bake. Uh, seared the heck out of those and then dropped down. Rex, I haven't talked much about the hasty bake. Not going to lie. Did a little uh, video study in. I was, uh, I've been home this week with my uh, sick 10 month old, did a little study in on YouTube, what to really like about the hasty bake, man, you can sear that thing. And it's got a crank handle to move basically the cooking grate, lower it. So it gets it off that direct uh, heat. And so you don't necessarily scorch the outside while still cooking it through huge fan huge fan cam absolutely devoured his steak uh yesterday so it's been a big week i'm sure on the weekend i'll be firing it up uh as well i'm sure the, i'm sure the bunk mates happy to have uh, their home cooking uh even uh with the obscene gesture that you're looking at in the backyard no i already got rid of it like i said that was gone early early the next morning like as soon as i saw it i, oh, I, I feel like you should have kept it 
No, I actually should have taken a picture just to have it. You know, I'm sure he'll end up doing it again. But do you know how people get gout? Well, one of the ways people get gout, they eat too much meat. I, I think you need to be aware of that. Uh, as a former uh, vegan uh, dieter, uh, I, I, I am not overly concerned uh, with my meat intake. It, meat, I only have meat uh, for dinner, uh, for breakfast. I eat the same thing every single day. I have some sort of oatmeal type crunch thing for lunch. I have a peanut butter sandwich. And then for dinner, I go all out. So I kind of like build up throughout the day. I could take or leave breakfast and lunch. I always eat them, but I don't care about them. And then the shining showcase is dinner. And that's why we go all out. The shining showcase. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. I look forward to sending you uh, more of those snappy chats on what we're cooking folks. Thanks for listening to this super long, super detailed edition of the golf central podcast presented by Callaway golf. Apologies in advance for Rex's FedEx cup detailed breakdown. Make sure you go to golfchannel.com If you have any more questions on what it all means for the landscape of professional golf, we'll be back next week for a recap of a live event. I'm sure as well as the Rocket Mortgage Classic, which has a surprisingly strong field. Patrick Cantlay, Will Zalatoris, Max Homa, among those who are teeing it up this week in Detroit. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening. We're back. We're back.